So right up front, we're doing the series, and I, I've been told not to move because we've got these big speakers um, that feedback. So, but I, I'm sorry, I, I have to. So JP, if it, if it shouts at me, it, it does so. And sorry for those online. Just put your, put your volume down a little bit. It'll be okay. Um, but we're doing the series called Abodah. Abodah is the Hebrew word which means to work and worship. There's no difference between work and worship. It's, it's the same thing. And uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But just to honor John Marcoma and Bridgetown, because a lot of what we've shared is from a series they did, and we, we found it so profound that we're using most of what, what they did, and, and it's obviously uh, uh, the content is, is largely from them. So we want to honor them for, for that. So let's recap quickly, because it's important for us to recap. For those of you who haven't been around, this is the fourth part of the series and uh, Rich shared on what the fact that work is ordained by God. It's not part of the curse. <laughs> Everyone thinks, oh, Genesis chapter 3. No, right up in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2, God puts Adam and Eve into the garden to work it. And it was their expression of worship to God. The whole of the Old Testament, you will not find the difference between spiritual and life. It's all the same thing. Everything we do is spiritual. Whether you're parenting, whether you're at work, whether you're digging a trench, whether you're doing a garden, whether you're cleaning the house, it is all spiritual. Brother Lawrence taught us that, didn't he? Practice the presence of God while you peel potatoes. What is our vocation? I want you to remember these definitions. Our vocation is work that fits you, that helps and serves others, and that glorifies God. That is our vocation. Every single one of us have that in some form or another. Our occupation is not necessarily the same. Some of us might find our occupation and our vocation coming together, and that is a place of intersection where we get our shalom. But our occupation is what we do for a living. Sometimes we need to make money in order to survive and to put food on the table, and Rich taught us, uh, spoke about that. And then he took us to Ephesians chapter 2, and he told us, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, that we are God's workmanship, created to do good works in advance that God has prepared for us. Amazing. That God has good works prepared in advance for all of us. Secondly, Ian came and he told us about our mandate, this dual mandate. Number one is a social or cultural mandate. Eden was never meant to just be this little garden that Adam and Eve attended. It was always supposed to extend. It was the temple of God where you found God, where God placed His image, us, into that place. And we were supposed to extend it out into the world. That's what we're supposed to do now. We are supposed to be the salt and light to the world out there. Jesus has called us to that. And that is our mandate, to be fruitful, to multiply. That's not just to have kids. That's to multiply who we are. And I love the fact that it's multiply, it's not addition. You know, one plus one is two, two plus two is four. No, but two times two, maybe four, but then four times four is 16. It just duplicates and it's exponential. Subdue and rule and harness the natural world. All the energy, all the stuff that we have, that God has for us, that He wants to put us in, all of those different things of farming and agriculture and commerce and technology. And Ian expressed that so beautifully a few weeks ago. That's what we're supposed to harness and do what our mandate is to extend the kingdom no matter where you are. And secondly, part of that, that mandate or the second mandate is to make disciples. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Reconcile them back to God. Bring them into a place of image bearing that, that it changes the world around us. And then thirdly, last week, Anthony articulated how we to take the Sabbath. And if you remember, anybody who was watching, he ran and he plastered himself against that wall. Because that's what we do. We run, we run, we run, and we fall over because we, we get sick and we get ill because we're just going from one thing to another and we, everything's urgent and we're running around like chickens without heads. And so what, what, what Anthony told us was just to stop. A Sabbath, ultimately, if you want to know what Sabbath means, 
it's to stop. But then, to engage God. I love what he said, that a Sabbath is not a Sabbath without God. So it doesn't mean just to stop and go on holiday and do that. that, that that's fine, but it's never going to rejuvenate and energize you to carry on with your calling, to do what God's called you to do. And if you want to listen, go listen online. I'm not going to c- cover that. There were some amazing practical things on how we go about a Sabbath. Prepare for it. Engage God throughout that process. So I'm amazed of all the self-help books that are out there. And they, there's some great ones. I mean, you take you know, people like Jordan Peterson and the 12 Rules for Life. They're great principles and they work and they're amazing. But it's amazing how we go from one to another, whether it was Stephen Covey or whether it's this particular person or that particular person. And Jordan Peterson's the, you know, the flavor of the month. And it's good stuff. I'm not saying that I, I say don't read that stuff. I think it's helpful for us to read it. But you know what? We go from one thing to another. Hell them is profound. And then we, we go to the next thing and, oh, this guy's written this book and this lady's written this book and read this and... But isn't it amazing that we, we, we talk about these things, but I know a person who took 12 men and changed the world. And how many of us go to him to learn about how to do life and how to do work and how to live out the life that God's called us to? Do you know that even our time, B.C. and A.D., were separated because of Jesus? He had such a profound impact on our world that even our time is... And I know the world's trying to change that now because... They, don't, they, want, they want to believe in Him. But before Christ, then the year of our Lord and what He has done, A.D. I think He's got something to offer in terms of advice on how we do this. So what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to job shadow Jesus for a little bit. Because if you're saying, well, how do I do this? What is my, what is my work? What is my vocation? What is my calling? How do I do this? I, I spent my whole life trying to apprentice to Jesus. Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. But I want to walk through Jesus' life with you this morning And hopefully what we can do is we can learn from Him and we can move forward in what God wants for us. That we can get to the end of our lives and go, it is finished. And as we walk into heaven, what I'm looking forward to the most is Jesus looking at me and saying, well done, Gary. You've been faithful to what I gave you. Imagine being like David, where it says in in Acts, he achieved all the purposes God had for him in his generation. David, the man who was an adulterer, the man who was a murderer, the man who did many different things wrong, and yet God calls him a man after his own heart. So it's not about perfection. It's about falling hard after God. So let's get going. I've got a lot of scriptures to get through. So buckle up. I want to hear one click, and let's go. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. After the festival was over, while the parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So for parents who've left your kids behind? Yeah, David. (laughs) David has been left behind many times. Even we have left David. So maybe he's the common denominator. So Lee and Grant, I think you've got a pass on this one. But many of us have left our kids behind. Oops! Uh, We had dinner with the... um, Willem and Natalie, and we heard from their daughters how many times Willem left the, the one daughter um, at preschool. Sorry, Willem, I've, I've just exposed you. But we've all done this, haven't we? Oops, we've left that kid at home. Oh, I thought you were getting her, or him, or whatever the case might be. But you're in good company because Jesus' parents lost the Messiah. So, hey, let's go. Where are we? Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. I mean, how's that? <laughs> for a whole day. 
So remember, you've traveled for a day, you've got to come back a day. So that's already two days. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and the friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem. So two days later, we're still trying to find Jesus. After three days, so this is five days. Five days you can't find your child. Can you imagine them panicking? I wonder what their prayer life must have been. Like, like Lord, I thought this was the Messiah. Where's he gone? Has he been stolen? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, and he was sitting there with teachers, and they were listening to him, and he was and, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When the parents saw him, they were astonished at him. Now you can imagine, you know what it's like. Where have you been? Like you just want to smash your child. I mean, you're happy that they're not dead and kind of buried under a bush somewhere or whatever the case is. But son, you, why have you treated us like this? Think about your parenting when your child is run off and, and you can't find them. You, you're so overwhelmed with emotion that you start to you want to smack their backsides and say, where were you? So Jesus turns to them and goes, um, how is it that you had to look for me? Did you not see and know that it was necessary, this is the amplified, this last bit, it is necessary for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business or work. But they had no clue what he was talking about. Now, if you go and read your translations, the, actually, the, the word is it's actually, it's like a, almost an idiomatic way of expression. It doesn't have the word work in there. It doesn't have business, but it, the whole context is about, I was about the necessary things that my father had called me to. That's actually the context. That's actually what the writer is saying. But what we can see here is early on, Jesus knows or has a sense of his vocation. He's in his father's house. He's doing what is necessary. So my own, my own story, I sense God's calling early on in my life, below the age of 10. My parents had sent me to, and my, my, my brother and my sister, to this independent Sunday school at Bligari Primary School. I remember sitting in the stairwells of Bligari Primary with this young guy who was our teacher. He was a, he was a teenager, um, maybe in his, his early 20s. And he used to teach us about the Bible stories. My favorite was Samson. <laughs> Samson was just my hero. I mean, here was a guy who killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He was my kind of guy. I, I, loved, I loved the fact that, that he was strong and that he was burly and that he just kind of did stuff. I related to him. I mean, he, tied, he, he caught 300 foxes, tied them, two of them together, and then put a flaming torch in it and sent it through the Philistines' crops and burnt them down. I mean, this oak was just my hero. It's like, hey, if you want to mess with me, come, let's, let's do it. Let's stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and let's deal with it. And then I started to go to youth camps, and I went to youth groups, and I led a youth group, and went to YFC camps, and, and all of these things. And, and, and I started to, just when the Word of God was preached, something leaped in me. Now, I know that you're not all called to preach and teach and be a pastor and all that, but try and put this onto what you are doing right now. What has God put in your heart? And we're going to go into these moments. So let's fast forward with Jesus. Now he's 30 years old, 18 years later. What has he been doing? The Bible's quite silent about it. He must have been doing something. Well, we know he was a carpenter, or potentially he was a stonemason, which maybe sometimes we'll, Louise and I will share some stuff around that. But let's... Assume carpenter's the, the accepted thing. He was doing and he was working. He was about an occupation, earning a living. But now, and please excuse this, we've got a gremlin in our system and it will sort itself out. It says, at that time, Jesus came to Nazareth in Galilee. He was baptized in the, in, by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming out the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And he says, you are my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. So he has a sense at 12 years old. In my own life, I've got a sense that God is calling me to teach and preach the gospel and to lead a church one day. I don't know how that's all going to work out. I've actually got no clue of how that's going to work out. At 30 years old, he has Jesus, who now has the audible voice of God, and it's crystallized who he is. He is the Son of God, and he is about to embark on his journey of his vocation of what God has called him to. Isn't it interesting how long this takes? 18 years. And I'll get back into that in a moment. Verse 14 will tell us that he goes about after this, and he goes about his work. He goes preaching. He goes teaching across the countryside. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. And it's all through the Gospels. And then in verse 32 and 33, he says here, he heals many of various diseases and he drives out demons. So what happens to me? Get married at about age 25. Um, we, we, we say we're going to take some time before we have kids because we know when kids arrive, things change. Um, they, they're a massive blessing, but things change and you've got to readjust your whole life. So we went overseas and we did all of these things. And we come back and we start up at New Covenant Church, Bryanston. And Ian McKellar, some of you might know, he was leading the church at the time. He's preaching and he says, if you are called, if your vocation is to preach and teach the gospel, are you preparing sermons now even though you're not preaching them? Oh, that's a good idea. So I start preparing sermons on the side. And I start to work through these things. And then I realize, actually, I'm, I'm actually clueless. Because when I, what is the Bible? What is amillennium and postmillennium? And what is the, 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 the whole Armageddon thing? And what is the end times theology? And actually, what is faith? And what is repentance? And, and what are baptisms? And, and what are. And I start to, and I found Derek Prince's foundational book. What an amazing book. I summarized that whole thing from cover to cover in 70 word pages. Actually, 71, I think it is. Went through it methodically, pulled out, summarized it for myself. And I started to come alive and I realized, okay, this is what God's called me to. I'm starting to feel the pleasure of God around all of this stuff. And guess what? Mark DeShalane's not here, but Linda is. Mark's in heaven with Jesus. So Mark, I know you're listening. You're part of the cloud of witnesses. But Mark calls me up. We're at uh, Louise's parents in Bligari. Actually, we, live, we were next door neighbors, so we could have been at my parents. But we're at, and I still remember, we'd actually just gone to Nando's. We'd gone to the Nando's on uh, uh, Jan Smuts. And we had got uh, our Nando's thing, and we'd hired a DVD. Remember those days? Um, and we were going to watch a movie with Louise and her family, and we had our uh, Nando's ready to rock and roll. And I get this call from Mark, and he says, Ash Bell's looking for you. I think he wants you to preach tomorrow. I'm, I'm not kidding. It's probably about 5, 6 o'clock at night. Phone up Ash. Ash, yeah, um, Mark says, are you looking for me? Yeah, Gary, um, are you able to preach tomorrow? Yes, I am. Is God, and as a Louise is my witness, I was in bed at 10 o'clock that night. Not like last night. <laughs> Why? Because God had birthed something in me and I was able to share it the next morning. I'm sharing these things with you because sometimes we wait for the opportunity. Because Brian Wigley, at the same time, the late Brian Wigley, he, he preached a, a, a talk on the parable of the talents. And it struck me that the one guy buried his talents. Now, I know it's talking financial stuff, but it's also talking gifting. It's also talking vocation. It's also talking what God has called you to. Jesus asked them to do these things. And what do they do? They go and bury, he goes and buries it. And then when the opportunity came, he wasn't ready. How many of you have been called to certain things, but you're waiting for the opportunity, but you're not honing your skill and what God has called you to? When the opportunity comes, guess what? You will not be able to take it because you won't be ready. 
As I said, it takes time for your calling and for your vocation to be crystallized. 18 years. But we live in this instant world, don't we? Especially you young guys. You think that you're calling your vacation. By next year, you're going to be walking in it. I'm 52 next month. And I don't believe I'm fully walking in my vocation yet. And I'm going to talk about some of those things in a moment. Planted a church at 39. So if God spoke to me before I was 10, 30 years I've had to wait before I planted the church. And then you kind of think this is what it's going to look like. <laughs> and it's different. I'll come into that and I'll speak into that in a bit more. Now I know some of you younger guys and girls over here, I know this seems to be the younger, but Josh, you, 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 you're lowering the age group on that side. Is, uh, it, you might say, but I don't know what my vocation is. I don't know what God's called me to. And maybe even some of you are 50, 60, 70, 80, and you go, I don't know what my vocation is called. Well, it's never too late. I could give you multiple examples. I don't have time. I've got to get through what I've got to get through. But Abraham, Joseph, I could just keep going. Uh, Jacob, carry on. Noah. Anyway, the point is, it's never too late. It's never too late. But I want to show you because you're going to me and you're saying, well, I'm still at school and I don't really know what I'm called to. I don't know what my vocation is. I'm glad you guys have asked that question because I'm here to help you. How do you know what your vocation and calling is? This even looks like David. <coughs> Where is he? Is David around? No, he's outside. He's in the corner there. What are you good at? Start there. Because if you're not good at it, God hasn't called you to be that. If you don't have hand-eye coordination, you're not a sports person. I'm just, just putting it out there. But maybe you're good with people. Have you ever sat with Leisha for five minutes? Hey? Sorry, it's my electric personality. Don't worry. Have you, ever, have you ever sat with Leisha for five minutes? You walk away going, oh, I can do this. I know she would downplay it, but she's got the ability to encourage you and to instill stuff in you. You go, okay, I can do this. That's why she heads up our counseling setup. Well, because people just, oh, okay, I get it. Thank you. And, and they listen, and she's able to listen to you and engage you. What about someone like Bruce who has cared for the Bowden family like nothing else I've ever seen? As Roger's lying in hospital and his kids are flying in, this man has organized everything around them. Well done, Bruce. It's humbling to watch how Bruce in particular, but as a couple, they've cared for that family in the most profound way. We're in good hands. <laughs> Something happens to me, I know I'm distorted. Bruce, help. Maybe you're good with stuff with your hands. I don't know if Scotty's online, my brother, who immigrated to Scotland, back to his roots, where my mom comes from. But my brother has got the most unbelievable ability with his hands. He can fix anything. I remember our DVD player breaking. And he unplugged it and he looked and he put it. Well, look, there were some still screws left over, but it's all it worked. <laughs> He's able to do, just make clocks and do whatever. You name it. Put flooring in and roof and, Scotty, I need something. Actually, Scotty, I even need a haircut. He could cut hair. So I remember, this is not in my notes, but I remember we decided to cut each other's hair. Yeah, mine looked okay. <laughs> I remember going, oh, oh no. <laughs> Can't stick it back. Sorry, Scotty. That's why you probably don't have any hair now. Yeah. <laughs> Even my father-in-law, just the ability to be able to fix stuff and do it. We've got Phil here. I mean, the handyman, the Burmaka plan, they're able to just pick stuff up and if you go to Phil's home and you see what he's done with his home, it's just amazing, the ability to do stuff. 
What about maybe you're creative? Maybe you've got the ability just to see beyond. The, I mean, I, I, I can't stand it when I go with Paul to different things and we have events here or we, we go on a Joburg trip and I'm standing there and I'm taking a, a picture of whatever it is in front of me, whatever monument, whatever, and I take a picture. And then Paul's standing here I mean, it's, and he takes the same picture, but his is so much better. He's captured something better than what I did because he's got the eye for it. How does he do that? I don't know. What about these slides that my wife has done? It's kind of gone up a couple of levels of notches that I do. Or the stuff that Sean took us into last year when he did my slides the one time. And, okay, she's, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I, need, I'm, I'm a, I need to learn a bit more. What about Anita when she paints? And all the artwork, that's, a lot of the artwork that's around here that she, she portrays and she takes the beauty of God and expresses it into our context. And we go, oh, that's amazing. Maybe you're good at teaching. I love sitting with Rich. I really honored him. But I love sitting with Rich and just hearing his life story and being encouraged by him and him teaching. And I'm not just talking about sitting here like what I'm doing now and teaching you or preaching. I'm talking about sitting across the table from somebody and being mentored and being encouraged and being kind of, Gary, you can do this. The reason I'm here, one of the reasons I'm here, let me not overstate it, is because of Richard. Gary, keep going, one day at a time, one week at a time. It's going to break, and it has. I love listening to Louise unpack as she's studying with Michael Heisen, unpacking this kind of historical, biblical narrative that I think that the world has lost because we just stick to certain things. Maybe you're called to organize things. Ange Elliott can organize a party in a dust storm. There's evidence because she's got Paul right next to her. Have you ever tried to organize Paul? It's like herding cats. And you can see, uh, I'm right, eh, Ange? <laughs> what are you good at? What are you good at? What kind of personality, personality and temperament do you have? How many of you have actually gone into that? Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Personality Plus, whatever. There are so many tools out there. And remember, personality is why you do something. Temperament is how you go about it, how, how your behavior kind of meters itself out. But what about going to find out about why you do certain things? Why do you react in a certain way to certain things? Who are you? How is God made up? Because I can guarantee you now, I am not called to be a security guard. That would kill me. I know some of you are, and that's cool. <laughs> but for me to stand there all night, waiting for the sun to rise, would kill me. Don't ask me to be a proofreader. Ask Louise to be the proofreader, or Karen Lynch, or someone like that, or Grant Morgan. I can't just look at these financials and look at the detail, because the numbers work, and I'm happy. Grant comes back, he goes, he looks at the, the thread on the bolt and goes, Gary, but this is missing. Oh, jeez, I didn't even see that. I don't do the detail. Also, don't ask me to be a politician. Just come and tell me. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be straightforward to me. Gary, you're a nana because you. Don't play the game and come around and, you know, when somebody, you know what, Gary, just get to the point. Don't politic me. That's why I, I, I detest politicians. I'm talking about those politicians. If you understand yourself, maybe you'll know what God's called you to. Thirdly, what are you passionate about? I love chariots of fire. 
And uh, what's his name? Uh, Eric Liddell. Where he says, I just feel the, pre- the, the pleasure of God when I run. Where do you feel that? Like, where do you feel the pleasure of God? Where you feel a sense that you're passionate about. That you, you, you have this kind of, I, I know, I, I could feel like I'm, this is just, I walk away going, Shoo. that was amazing. You know, it's important here, remember the definition of vocation versus occupation. Sometimes you hope they intersect. You hope you're doing the same thing. But for most of us, they are different. And we need to understand that, otherwise we get frustrated. So right now, I can tell you, I am sitting in an occupation, and I'm working most of my time in my occupation, and my vocation's on the side there, and I'm going, God, come on, what are you doing? So I'm touching on this. This is the first time I've preached, or the second time I've preached in four months. The very thing that God's called me to, and yet I'm, I'm not doing that because I'm caught up with a whole bunch of stuff with mass mart and all those kind of things. And at times, you can ask the eldership team, I get frustrated. God, what are you doing? But I know what I'm doing is I'm learning stuff here that is going to set me up for here. I know that I've got this so that I can do this. So I know sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's hard. Like I said, Jesus must have done carpentry, stone masonry, whatever it might have been from the age of young age, certainly from 12 to 30. He didn't just sit around twiddling his thumbs, but he also clearly read the Bible and studied because he knew what God had called him to. Fourthly, what makes you mad? What are the injustices out there? Maybe stop putting comments on social media and do something about it. How's that for a suggestion? I see people put stuff on, 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 on social media, but I know their lives, they do zip about it. So it's easy to throw that hand grenade over the wall into your neighbor's garden because you see something doing. But how about going and making a difference? How about going and making a change? I don't think Seppi and uh, Belisa are here. Hey, they're not. Is she here? Okay, I didn't see her. But Seppi's running for ward councillor here in this area as an independent. And some people say, oh, oh, there you are. Come here, Seppi. So she's seen the fact that the political situation around here, people are not doing what they said they're doing. Around the world. No, elect me, I will. Oh, why aren't you doing it? We've elected you. Well, um, yeah, things have changed, eh? And so we're not supporting a political party or politics. You just heard, I don't like politics. But as a community, if you live in this area, I would, I would back her. Why? Because she comes with the kingdom. She comes with this community behind her. She comes with accountability within the kingdom framework. And so when she says, oh, I'm going to do this, and she doesn't, I'll go, hey, Tepi, you said... Although she's got a husband that would do that even better than me. But the point is, is here's somebody who's going, I'm mad at that. I'm stepping into that because I want to make a change and influence that with the kingdom. I th- on one level, I didn't plan this. I mean, we were going to do it. But st- stay here, Tepi. If the eldership team can just come up, let's just stop for a moment. So what we do is we lay hands on people. What for? Well, to commission them. It's one of the things we do. 
So to commission Tepi into all of what God's called her into, into this region, to be an influencer of the kingdom, wow. So Lord, as a community, not that she needs our permission, she doesn't, but we want to commission her as a community to go out and make a difference in our area because of what you've put in her. And thank you for your kingdom to be established in and through her over this time. We ask for favor and blessing. We ask for resources. She needs funds. Not marketing her on one level, but that's how, that's how this stuff works. She needs money to be able to do this. So if, right now, if God's putting something on your heart, go speak to her. Ask her. Get her manifesto. Make sure you're behind it. And let's help this lady get elected. Why not? This is not politics. This is kingdom. So Lord, release her and bless her and her family. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that burns my bottom is when I'm at a swimming gala and I see some parents, and if you've ever been to Ellis Park in particular, the stands are up here and the pool's down there, and you get these parents who actually you worry they're going to fall over and kill themselves first of all. But they're shouting. On one level, I'm, I'm happy about passionate kids. But believe it or not, Louise is way more vocal at a swimming gala than I am. Um, I'm going, go, go. But, but Louise is like, yeah. And uh, I'm not talking about voc vocalness. I'm talking about these, these, these moms and dads who shout at their kids and then their kid doesn't quite do the time that they should do. And you see afterwards them scolding their kid for not doing what they should be doing. I want to walk over to that parent and headbutt them, tar and feather them, and send them off into the white blue yonder. Because, and I want to say to them, you know, just looking at your physique, you're not doing an exercise much, do you? Because most of them are like that. <laughs> Have you ever swum 100 freestyle? Or maybe even 100 butterfly? Let's just, you know. Have you ever felt like at the last 20 meters where your arms and legs just seem to disappear? and be detached from your body, and when you finish the race, you get the most unbelievable joint burn, and you can't breathe, and you are scolding your kid for not doing... What? No, you punk. What are you doing? How about encouraging your child? Hopefully my kids can vouch for it. I'll give my honest feedback, and say, hey, George, I think you went out too fast, or you went out too slow, or you went over... But at the same time, I know, those last 20 meters on a... I mean, Sebastian's there, hey? That last 10 meters, you, you're just going on adrenaline. You, you just kick the wall. Well, those rugby players that come off the field and they, they might as well take their shorts and put them away. They don't even go to wash because they're not even dirty. I mean, get involved. Tepi, get involved. Okay, I'm taking too much time. Sorry. What are the needs of your world around you, which is a slightly different thing? Your neighborhood. Johannesburg. Get involved with the things that are around there. Why? Because we are called, remember from the preachers, we are called to create shalom. We are called to bring the peace of God. We are to remake the, make, remake the world into a garden city that Ian spoke of. God has placed you in the place where you are right now to influence. To bring about the kingdom of God through your dual mandate. Culturally and discipleship wise to bring people to Jesus. Sixthly, what are the doors that are open to you guys? What doors are available to you right now? It doesn't mean you have to walk through them, and I'm not, I want to go into all the details. I want to throw these out, and there's more to talk about, and I don't have enough time to delve deep into these. 
But what are, where is God blessing you? Sometimes people don't want to ask God, God, what do you want from me? Because you don't want to do what God wants of you. John is a perfect example of that. And then he goes down to the, the ships at the docks and he goes, Oh, there's a ship to Joppa. Must be God. How did that go for you, Jonah? But the point is, is when there's blessing, when God and the opportunities, you need to walk through it. What, what was my opportunity? Well, I was always reasonably good at accounting. Am I a great accountant? No. I think I'm a good accountant. I'm not a great accountant. I mean, there's some people out there. Grant's a great accountant. I'm kind of like the middle of the road, I get by, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, that sounds good. Um, but uh, but I, I think I'm a reasonable accountant. I'm not a dwarf accountant. Some, there are dwarf accountants, by the way. But the point is, is I studied to become a CA. At the time, I almost went into ministry when I was 20 years old, two years into my degree. Because why? Because there were prophetic words spoken over my life that I would lead a church and be a pastor back then. I remember Rob Rufus coming into the church that I was in and prophesying over me. I remember Kenny LaRue doing the same thing. Some of you guys know these names. That One's in Hong Kong, one's in the city. And so I go, okay, God, you're speaking to me. Obviously, something's happening here. But you know what's beautiful about what God did with me? Is I still do the church payroll. If I had time, I'd probably still do the books. I know Shams does the books. I still review the books. I still put things in. But I'm able to manage the finances as the finance team, as rich as our chairman of our finance team, in a reasonable way, whereas I know my mates who are leading churches who don't have the financial background are clueless and are actually putting themselves at risk because they haven't registered, they haven't done this, they haven't done that, they're not doing all these other things, and I come in to help them. God has given me those things. So no matter what's going on in your life, you may say, but God's called me to lead a church and, and a preaching gospel and whatever else, but now I'm an accountant. I know. They seem juxtaposed, don't they? But you know what I've learned here has been so beneficial for what's here. Look at David, King David. King David gets anointed as king and then has, goes into the courts of Saul, gets spears thrown at him while he's worshipping, has to run away and 15 years later only becomes king. But what he learned here was to how to be a king when he became king. So don't get frustrated that your occupation is pulling you away from your vocation to some extent or, more, or a large extent. Hold on to your vocation and what God's called you to and put food on the table so that you can move into your vocation when the timing comes. What are people close to you saying? Your mom, your dad, your friends. Now please, make sure that these people really care about you and they're not those stupid people who send their kids to go and audition for idols. If they can't sing, tell them. Make sure that your parents are going to be honest with you. I've got a VDW. I know many of you have. You know what a VDW is? A very direct wife. <laughs> Gary, hi, boy. Don't do that. You can sing okay, but you're never going to lead worship. Ah, oh, God, I want you to be a worship leader. Not going to happen. I can maybe play guitar, but if I get up here and start singing, grace is going to flow from you to me as opposed to grace flowing from me to you. It's just not going to happen. Gary, not for you. Okay. Thank goodness. Otherwise, I would have gone into idols, idols and you would have seen me with the wooden spoon. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. But the beautiful thing is when Jesus, he's praying with his, his disciples, and he says, well, who do you think I am? Who's the, who are the people saying I am? Well, you're Elijah, you, you're this, you're this, this and the other, but who do you say I am? No, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or as the new NIV translation says, you are God's Messiah. Okay had a sense of my vocation. 
crystallized by the voice of the Father, but now the people around me are starting to see what God's called me to. Babe, what do you think about this? Do you think I can do this? Rich, what do you think? Ian, what do you think? Do you think I can do that? Actually, Gary, maybe not. I don't think you're called to that. Ah, oh, but I really want to be called to that. But you're not. Because what we see in your life is you, you're not a musician. Okay. I love music. And maybe I'm a worshiper like King David. But I'm certainly not somebody who's going to lead people in worship. That's okay. Why do you think I stand here by the speakers so you guys can't hear me? Because I want to worship. What am I bad? Am I good at that? Am I bad at that? Do you see me doing those kind of things? Yes, no. Get the feedback. Know what God has called you into. And then lastly, what, and most importantly, what is God saying? When you're in that quiet place, that quiet time, that place where you are just putting aside everything, that, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. The Garden of Gethsemane moments. The engaging God with, with everything that you've got, that you're not coming with these agendas, and God, I, I want you to bless this, you know. God, I want to be a worship leader. Bless this. No, Gary, I've called you to teach and preach. That's what I've called you to do. Go and work on that, not on that. Okay, put the guitar down. Now, Dale and Paul use my guitar. I haven't touched it in years. Why? Because I know it's not what I'm called to. Maybe one of my kids will pick it up. I haven't felt the thing to give away my guitar yet, but Jordan's starting to show some talent along those lines, and I know Ella as well. Who knows? Maybe they're the ones to walk into that. But when you come to God and you say, I remember back in our days at Bryanston, I wasn't part of any, I think we'd just been poured onto leadership. And uh, Louise and I were in our home, we had a double story, and we had an open plan double story thing over into our lounge, and we put on some worship music and we were worshiping God. I'm not trying to say that we do this all the time, because we don't. So I don't think we, we're this kind of hyper-spiritual, over kind of whatever. But we were, this moment, we said we need to seek God on what the next season is. And independently, God speaks to us and says, you will lead a church. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. That's, oh my gosh and God together. <laughs> Seriously, Lord, I, I don't know if I could do that. And, and in the moments, the problem is, is when God speaks, make sure that you are not looking at your current context and allowing that prophetic word to speak about your current context. Because both Louise and I felt like he was saying, you're going to leave Bryanston one day. It wasn't, wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, you will lead a church one day. I needed the courage for that. Ash Bell was somebody who instilled that courage in me. I thought we would take over a church and you know, you're really established. That. I, am, I, know, I know my limitations. I'm not the most charismatic oak in the world that, and, 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 and evangelist and draw people and all those kind of things. Where are the people going to come from? Why would they follow me? So those were the things in my... And in fact, I almost gave it up because I saw someone like Rory Dye come and preach. I'm like, I can't do that. Just start to slink back. No, Gary, I've called you into this. You're not Rory Dyer. You are who you are. And I remember him speaking to me, and, and that was what happened. And then kind of in 2005, you know some of my story, where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, God. And for two months, Louise and I seek, sought God's faith, face around the next season. And guess what? Right at the end of that two months, once I'd made my decision, I was going back to the corporate world because it was just a lot easier. There's a lot more less backstabbing and gossip and you're this and you're not enough and you're too much and you're all this kind of stuff. It's easier in the corporate world. You walk into meetings, you do your job, you're functional and you say, how's it? And you smile and you walk out and they pay you a salary at the end of the month. 
Easy. So now what happens is, is uh, right at the end of this, this, this moment, I'm on the N1, just come off the, the M1, round that big bend, got wood meat on this side. Why? Because it was such a profound moment. I'm coming up over the hill to come down to Ravonia, and I've, I've already been at Deloitte. I'm going back to them. I've told them on Monday, this is a Wednesday. I'll see you on Monday. I'm going to check in, and I'm back in, in, in business with you guys. And I say, God, God, you know I've made my decision. What do you want of me? I don't know if it was audible. I think it was, but I, I don't know. But in a moment, he goes, Gary, stay where you are. And my, ask Louise, my heart changed. We need to be asking God what he wants of us. Surrendering to him. Listening to Holy Spirit speak us. Because as we surrender, day upon day, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer what our vocation and what he's called us to in the details. And if you don't do that, then you're going to run around like a chicken without your head, trying to find the God, I don't know what I'm called to. But God's already put it in your heart. And if you answer these questions, it'll help you filter what God has called you to. See, Jesus knew his vocation. He knew God's calling, and he was able to focus. So look at this text. Come on. Look at this text. So they sit in there. Jesus gets up. He goes out early in the morning. He's praying. And Simon comes along and says to him, Come on. They're looking for you. They need you. And what does he say? Tough luck. I'm leaving. See, how many of us, with a show of hands, are just way too busy and stressed out? Huh. So maybe it's because you don't know what you're called to. Because if you knew what you were called to, you wouldn't get caught up in the urgent and run around like a chicken without a head, and you will actually give yourself to what's important. And guess what that requires? No. But Gary, I need you here and this another. Sorry, no. It's Jesus... When he says, this is why I've come, it's Jesus' version of saying, that's what I'm called to No, I've already preached to them. I need to preach to everybody else. I've only got a limited time. And many of us, we're only here for a short time on earth. No. But Jesus, they need you. They need you to be doing this. They need you to be doing that. Sorry, no. But they need you at this fundraiser, and they need you to go and pray for this man, and this, heal this person. And No. Everybody with me? No. No, I, I'm not. One. No. One more time. No. Okay, we got it. Okay, so take that with you. If you're right making notes, put a big no. That's how you move into your calling, your vocation, by saying no. Because when you say no, you say yes to the things that God's called you to. If you say yes to that, you say yes to everything, and by saying yes to everything, you basically say no to nothing. I've heard this saying, good is the enemy of best. You can do good things for God, but what's the best thing God's called you to do? I think so many of us don't walk into what God's got for us because we're just doing the good things and not the best things. And then God's calling gets put on the, the back burner and the world shouts at us, come and do this, come and do this, come and get caught in this. And God's whispering, Gary, 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 Gary. I can't hear you. Carry on. Many of us are like that. Before our kids were born, I played squash in a league. I played touch rugby. Six touch, beautiful game. Um, I played soccer, both indoor and field soccer. Um, my rugby days were over because my body couldn't handle it anymore. So sorry, Josh. So I played bits, uh, bits under 20s for two years and then went into Corsais or whatever rugby, played for Commerce. And that was my last few years. And then I thought, actually, my body's got concussed a few times. Let me go and play the gentleman's game played by hooligans, which is soccer. 
and, uh, and I play soccer for, for the rest of my time. But I'm doing all of the sport, and now Jordan and, and Jenner arrive. What do I have to do? Well, let me rephrase that. What is my choice? What is my vocation? My vocation is being a father. I have to say no to that so that I can take a hold of what God has for me and be a father in my home. And that's what Jesus does. He understands what he's called to. Look at these texts. It says he, the son of man must do many things. He must be rejected and he must actually go die on a cross. And after that, Peter goes, no, he's not. He goes, get behind me, Satan. Maybe we should be saying that to people who want to pull us off what God's called us to. Get behind me, Satan. No, I'm called to that, not that. No. And what does it say in uh, verse 51? It says, as the time approached, and he knew he was going to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem because he knew he was called there. So how do we do this? Because many of you are saying, okay, but I'm only 12 years old. 30 years old seems a long way off, doesn't it? Well, why don't you do what's in front of you? What is in front of you right now? What has God put in your hands? Some of you are at high school and, and varsity. You know what? Your vocation right now is to study. How about taking notes in class? How about sitting down and actually studying for more than 15 minutes? My kids, you set aside an hour. 15 minutes later, oh, I'm tired, I'm hungry. No, sit and study. Because that is your vocation for right now. Go to school tomorrow and do, be the best student you can be. Be the best varsity student that you could be. Take notes. Study hard. Because right now, that is your calling. That is your vocation. What job have you got right now? Tomorrow, go and do the best job that you possibly can. Work hard. Do your best. Your husband or your wife, if you're married, right in front of you, be the best husband. Be the best wife that you can be to your partner. If you've got kids, the same thing. What about a spiritual community? Give your best to the spiritual community. We are not a club. We're a community that comes in and serves one another. If you come to our, our Looking In, our Life Connect, we're going to say, yes, come, but guess what? Family takes the dishes to the sink. If you've got a cup here, take it to the bin. You're part of the family. No, seriously. Come and serve. Come and serve one another. That's part of our work, to be part of our... My first job in my vocation was an assistant kids ministry teacher. We need you. If you're called to any form of ministry, we need people in the kids ministry. Now it's all gone quiet. Gary, can move on, Gary. I'm feeling uncomfortable. But look at all of those things. You know, Jesus is in Decapolis. <laughs> and they bring this man who's both deaf and dumb, mute, and Jesus gives the first wet willy of our... Okay, maybe he didn't stick his finger in his mouth, but he did stick his fingers in his ears. <laughs> so dads, I mean, it gives us the right to do with our kids now. But the point is, is this man is healed, and they stand there and they go in amazement. Oh my goodness. Look at what he does everything well. Can that be said of me? Can that be said of you? She was, I want Gary in my employ, because he does everything he works hard, and he does it with absolute excellence. And that's what we need, is Christians, people of the kingdom, working hard and doing stuff with excellence. Because you know what happens, is when we do that, look what the proverb says, do you see somebody skilled at their work? They will serve before kings. 
You know, when you work hard and you do stuff with excellence, you get promoted and you get put into the presence of kings to influence them. Amazing, isn't it? Open doors. Why? Because God loves excellence. He made the universe and said it was good and it was very good. And if you take that Hebrew word, you translate it, it was beautiful, it was pleasing to the eye, it was really fun and good to look at, it was well done. Let's follow Jesus' example in this. And so as apprentices, let's make sure that we are doing this because genuine love and excellence is rooted in the love for God because God deserves our very best. And more importantly, after that, is people deserve our very best in terms of our work and our excellence and to focus on that. Now you might say, okay, great. Here's a key to make sure that you have the right motivation. There's only two things you can remember. Glorify God and love and serve others. So if you're not sure what your motivation is, change your motivation to whatever you're doing is to glorify God and to serve others. Why? Because Jesus says that. He says, God, glorify me. If you look at verse 4, I've brought glory because I've finished the work that you. Do you know that when you finish the work and don't walk away, when you do it with excellence, when you work hard, you bring God, God glory. I mean, ultimately, the cross was the apex of what Jesus' expression of that was. And we give God glory in this process. You know what? It's not about, if you're a gardener, it's not about carving 316 into every tree that you tend. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That might be it, but I doubt that's what it is. Do you know what your job is to glorify God? Is to put the most unbelievable garden together with flowers and tend it so that when people walk into it, they experience the presence and shalom of God. Imagine that. If you're an accountant, it's to do the best income statement and balance sheet that you've ever seen, that even Louise could read it and understand it. But you see the difference. You see the different motivation. Now, whatever you're going to do tomorrow, if you can understand that difference, because look at, how does a tree glorify God? Well, the heavens declare, I want to read this, because I know I'm running out of time, but the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. The trees speak. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, but they speak. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, but they speak. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. If you're a gardener, make the most beautiful garden that people experience the shalom and peace of God. If you're a project manager, make sure you're project managing that project to the nth degree. If you're a metallurgist, do it to the best of your ability. Whatever you're doing tomorrow, if you're a student, when you do that, what you do is you create space. Guess what? You then serve other people and love on them because you are bringing the presence and the kingdom of God into their sphere on a day-to-day basis, and you are ushering in the presence of God into that. How many of you have stopped in a moment? And we've got Derek here who makes the most amazing... I call him, if you ever watch Ratatouille, Remy. I call him Remy Nine again. I don't know if he appreciates it, but, but, but when you taste his food, if you remember the Remy, the Ratatouille um, uh, cartoon, whatever you want to call it, movie, but there's that moment where he's tasting everything and you, you see like these, these different tastes and he smells and whatever. That's what Derek does. 
Have you ever stopped with a meal and going, oh my goodness, can I, I taste this and I taste that? When you sip a bit of red wine, and I know Dale's becoming a wine connoisseur, not a wine bibber, but a wine connoisseur, and, and, and he goes, oh, there's the chocolate and the this and the that. And people go, oh, what are you talking about? But when you start to become, stop and smell the roses. Stop and see that actually around you, there's the presence and the beauty of God. So Friday night, Friday, Thursday night, because it's holiday Friday, I say, okay, okay we're going to get really takeaways. So I go off to KFC and I go through the drive-thru. It was the most unbelievable experience I've had in a long time. So I go, I order the food, I come to the, the, the door and I'm actually trying to capture the receipt. And they bring my food. I mean, I've literally just stopped. And I go, no ways, that can't be mine. She says, no, and she rattles off my order. I go, what? I promise you I waited less than 30 seconds. And I thought the family was going to be waiting because I always go, Dad, where are you? I'm hungry. And I love dunk wings. Oh. Anyway, but I, I stop and I eat those dunk wings and I go, thank you, Lord, for dunk wings. But I stop for a moment and this lady and the way she engaged me and how she served me, I felt the presence of God. Are we doing that? Anthony said stop for a Sabbath, but how about stopping in moments and experiencing the presence of God? Ryan, when you jump out of a plane, do you stop or does it just become, oh, when you're attending one of your customers, are you just tending them for the paycheck or the salary or wage at the end? Or are you realizing that as you engage with these people, you are there to usher in the shalom of God, to glorify God, to serve others, and love on them, that the peace of God would come in that moment, and you can respond to it. I started to drive off. Look behind me, there wasn't any other car, so I reversed back. I dug into my wallet, and I called the lady over, and I gave her an extravagant tip. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about me stopping. And how do I respond with the generosity of God in this moment to go, I really appreciated that. I didn't sit in my car going, where are these people? And then they give you the wrong order and all kinds of stuff. No, the order was perfect. Yeah, it was a sign and a wonder. So, Jesus has a sense of vocation. What's your sense of vocation right now? For you young guys and girls, has it been crystallized? Has God spoken? Have all of those questions around you? Well, go and work. Go and work hard. Do it with excellence. Say no. Continue to work as God gives you more and more influence. Continue to focus on hard work and excellence. And you know what? Ultimately, you will glorify God. You will love people. You will serve them in the way that you're doing it. And you will usher in the kingdom of God in the most profound way. Tomorrow, this afternoon, it's all a matter of perspective. As we work and as we worship, Avodah, won't you stand, please? Sorry, I was a bit longer. I got carried away. It was Paul's fault. He told me I must preach like a 20-year-old. So I know it was a long morning. And I don't want to prolong the morning. I, I just want to stop. So st just stop right now. Think of the things that God is calling you into. 
What is his vocation for you? What have you got a sense of? Those six questions, if you, want, if you want them, I'll send them to you. Those eight questions, sorry. What is God saying? Lord, I know your proverb says that a man plans his way, but you establish his steps. You can only move an object that is moving. So I pray for momentum in all our lives. That we understand the difference between vocation and occupation. That we don't get frustrated in these moments. That we have a momentum towards something that you can redirect. So I pray for plans and vision to rise up in all of us. In this time of COVID where we, we seem to have been hemmed in, I pray for an opening up for our futures. Personally, individually, as a community, as a city, I pray that you would start to open up those things that we would see what you're doing. And Lord, that we would make the intentional, deliberate steps towards those things. And Lord, that we would do this together because wisdom is found in the counsel of many. Thank you for what you have called this church to be. It's to be a community of influence. As Seppi goes out and she runs for ward counselor, we, we're trusting that she gets elected this time, but if she doesn't, we'll try again. And we'll try again. Lord, for those who are in business and are CEOs and are, um, are touching and influencing CEOs, Lord, I pray that we would start to influence far and wide. For those who are sportsmen, I think of Joshua who's playing high-level rugby, and I think of um, others around you who are Jordan who is swimming, and, and others, Lord, who are engaging with other people on various levels. I pray, Lord, for influence. The influence of the kingdom, that when they leave, they leave your presence your shalom wherever they may go. So Holy Spirit, right now, won't you just seal this moment and start to speak it, especially for these, this young generation, that, that you would start to get them to journal what you're saying and start to bring that and find mentors and understanding to walk it out. Because God, sometimes it's scary. Sometimes we don't know what it looks like. I'm at school. What, what, what must I do? What career must I do? And you're just going, Gary, just calm down. I've got this. You can plan all of this stuff, but I will establish your steps. Just keep in touch with me, and I will lead you. So in this moment, as we stop, as we Sabbath and we listen to you, Lord, as we hear the good works that you prepared in advance for us to do, as we walk out the mandates, the cultural and discipleship mandates, Lord, we pray that as we are blessed, you will be blessed by us as we partner with you in what you are doing on Project Planet Earth. God, what do you want us to be doing? Lord, what do you want me to be doing? What do you want our family to be doing? 